If you turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 for a moment, please. Genesis chapter 3. The last time we were together in the book of Genesis, remember we're, look, we're looking at uh, the, the, uh, the thought on what on earth is going on. What on earth is going on when we look around us and we hear of uh, the world and its... Uh, its loves, its lusts, when we hear about the sin going on, when we look at our government, we look at our nation, we wonder what on earth is going on. And yet, uh, we can see from the scriptures, God has given us fair warning, if you would, or given us his word to recognize that there is a battle going on. And that battle is at the heart of it, the, uh, the conflict between God and Satan, right at the heart of the whole thing. Men, of course, the flesh, it does what it feels is best for itself, but that's part of the fall. That was part of the satanic deception that came with the fall. So we're in Genesis chapter 3, and the last time we were together, we kind of brushed through this a little bit. We want to continue on with it, in that there was, in fact, uh, the fall of man. Remember, man was tempted, the woman was tempted, uh, the man also took of the fruit, partook of the fruit that God said not to touch. And in, in the process of that, man fell. Why? Because man uh, was a rebel against God. Remember, sin, sin just boils down to this. I heard this definition so long ago. Sin is self-will, ignoring or opposing the will of God. That's what sin is. Self-will, God said not to and I choose to do it. Sin is self-will, ignoring or opposing the will of God. So man sinned against God, and we saw how this all worked through, but we, we also uh, viewed, if you would, what God said to the serpent, uh, whom the devil had possessed or indwelt, if you would. God said to the serpent, you're cursed above all the creatures of the world. And so the serpent crawls on its belly, uh, from that day forward, I wonder what it looked like when it was first created. It might, must have been unique. But at any rate, it was in fact judged by God. Now, to the devil, the one who indwelt this serpent, he says this in verse 15 to the devil, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and he shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The term here to bruise is to damage, uh, literally to crush, if you would, to, to, to totally annihilate. In uh, the fact that Satan, in the process of the, this battle that would go on, the, this conflict of the ages, it would be Satan and his seed, and we looked that up, it's, Satan cannot produce children, but anyone from this point on who... Uh, follows Satan, is called the child of the devil. Uh, that is, human beings. Uh, demons are called his army. Uh, and in a couple of cases, his children. But recognize that uh, the woman would produce that seed which would one day crush the head of the serpent. And we know that, of course, to be Satan uh, himself. But we also know that uh, the Messiah that would come, the one that was promised that would come, his heel would be bruised or crushed or hurt, damaged by uh, the cross of Calvary. So there's a, there was a price to pay for 
extinguishing this devil. Now, when did all that happen? Well, we took some time to look at that uh, just a little bit and saw, and from the book of uh, Romans, for example, chapter 16, that Paul told the church at Rome, Satan will be crushed under your feet or bruised, bruised under your feet shortly. So God is still at work when we read Paul's letter to the epistle to the Romans. Though Satan is there and though Satan has attacked and though Satan has had his way in many cases, God eventually will crush his head. The last part of that is found in the book of the Revelation, please. Revelation chapter 20. What will eventually happen to the devil? Well, the devil will eventually be placed into a holding place that will last forever. During the great millennial kingdom, Satan is locked away for a thousand years in what's called the bottomless pit. He's chained there and he cannot escape that. But at the end of the great uh, millennial kingdom, he is released and he gathers together all those that were born here on earth during the thousand year period of time that did not believe the word of God. They did not trust the word of God. Even though our Lord Jesus Christ was on the throne, even though they were in a perfect environment, even though there were perfect laws, there were angels round about them, they still rebelled against God. And now God releases Satan at the end of that thousand year period of time and Satan gathers them together and there's a great judgment. <clears throat> and you can see that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 9. But in a great final blow to Satan, we pick it up in verse 10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are. They were in there, remember, during the judgment when they were uh, destroyed at the end of the great tribulation period. But this is where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. With all the wicked believers, with all unbelievers, they will all be situated in this place called this lake of fire, which will, and they will be there day and night, tormented forever and ever. So ultimately, that's the defeat of Satan. But up to that time, we recognize that we have been delivered from the power of darkness, translated into the kingdom of his dear son, but we're told, beware. Beware. It's not as if you can say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. It does matter. You have to beware of Satan. We have a warning. Do we not turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5? 1 Peter chapter 5. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, there's a warning here about this person we know to be the devil, Satan. And what we know about him is this, that he's the prince of the power of the air, He's a spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. We know his job is to thwart the work of God and to knock Christians off their walk with God. And Peter says that. And we'll pick it up, please, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. He says in verse, um, let's pick it up in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Remember, we're supposed to resist the devil, James says. Peter says this very same thing now in verse 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. But, essentially, but, be sober, be vigilant. 
Why? Because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Peter's talking to Christians about this enemy. He's an enemy, a deadly enemy. It's not something that we can toy with. He wants to take your children. He wants to take my children, my grandchildren. He wants to uh, enter them into wickedness with him. He's an arch enemy. I know sometimes we get, you know, because we see these things on television where these lions are friendly in some things, in some areas. But listen, a, a lion is a deadly beast, a, de a horribly deadly beast. And they can lay a person open with one swipe of their claws. They can crush the head of a full-grown giraffe with, with one bite. Well, when Paul talks about, Peter talks about him as being a lion, the reference there is something deadly. There are no longer lions in the land of Israel. They, they were eradicated. Uh, but uh, many, many years back, uh, during the first century, I believe, uh, and also into the Old Testament times, there were, in fact, lions. We would refer to them as cougars. It was that type of lion, a cougar, a panther, that type of thing. But they were these deadly lions in the land of Israel. And so they're picking up on that. Listen, he is like a deadly lion. He's your adversary, your enemy. But notice what he says. He's seeking whom he may devour. It's not talking about Christ unsaved people here. He's talking about Christians. How do we know that? Well, verse 9, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Resist him steadfastly. How? In the word of God. This isn't something you can do What you know, I rebuke you, Satan, get thee behind me. You know, all that business. That's not your job. That's not your challenge. Your challenge is this, to walk in the faith of the word of God. And that way it's a resistant against him. Uh, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand. So we're talking about the enemy who's there. He's out there right now and he's functioning right now. And so when the warning comes back in uh, the book of Genesis, if you could, when the warning comes to man uh, and, and the uh, pronouncement is given by the Lord Jesus that there's going to be an eternal battle going on and... God himself, the Messiah to come, Mashiach, he's the one that's going to crush the head of Satan. However, there's a consequence for sin. There's always consequences for sin. Unless your sins placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ in believing in his substitutionary atonement for you, you're going to pay for your sin. But, though my sin may be forgiven... At times, the consequence of my sin can have devastating ramifications on me. Though the sin is paid for, the consequences of the sin can bring some problems into my life. For example, if I were to go to the racetrack and spend all my money gambling, or to, to Foxwoods, if I spend all my money on gambling, there's consequences, aren't there? You don't have any money. If I if I made myself drunk every day and, and then I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean my liver necessarily is going to survive. There's always consequences of sin. And so the consequence here was the woman. You are going from now on, all women everywhere are going to go through 
childbirth. Now, uh, I was there when all three of my children were born. It looked pretty easy to me. No, it didn't. Not at all. No. It's, it's very difficult. That's part of it. And I've been to work, and I know what it's like to work very hard. Why? It's a consequence of the fall. There are consequences that go along with this. And God lets man know that because of the consequences of your sin, devastation has come upon the earth. Now, what is some of the devastation? Well, we saw, most tragically perhaps, man's soul, soul spirit, died to God. I like the way Dr. Shaw has put it in his book, and I mentioned that to you. Uh, he said, the governing disposition of man, where man was once oriented toward God and God's word and, 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 and worshiping and fellowshipping with God in the garden. Once man fell, he now became completely corrupted and his disposition was toward life and flesh. So he's turned from God to idols, if you would. He turned away from God. And that, of course, fell upon all mankind. From that point forward, man and woman born into this world are called dead in their trespasses and sins. And that's, that's fell upon Adam and Eve and their generations forever. Of course, except for those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and now they are made alive. They're a new creation in Christ Jesus. They're born again. But just being born into this world the first time, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Secondly, we said, that uh, rebellion against his creator subject man to physical hardship. And you can see that in chapter 3, starting in verses 17 and following. The sweat of your face. Dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return into the earth. And I, I have stood over many, many, many caskets and proved that's true. That man goes back to the dust of the earth. As a matter of fact, that's, that's a verse we often use because God said that would happen, but until, if it's a believer, until he reconstitutes that body and brings him to glory or reconstitutes it and sends it to the hellfire forever. But recognize that there is a consequence there. Secondly, a part of the second thought here, sin and rebellion against his created subject man to physical hardship, Disease and deformity and death came upon all men. Where man was created to live forever in, in perfect, uh, at a perfect age, in a, under a perfect condition, in a perfect place. From then on, the effects of man's fall was pressed down upon him and where that now man was going to physically die. And not only that, as the generation continued on, death, deformity, all kinds of physical maladies came upon man. Why? Because he had lost his perfect state. The whole process, uh, the Lord Jesus talked about, in this world, you will have trouble, troubles. We get the same sicknesses the world has. You're not exempt because you're a Christian. We get the same situations the world gets. We're not exempt. Uh, the hurricane comes our way. You like to think that it would go around my house, but it doesn't. It will take my house as well as your house. Why? Because uh, the, the judgment of this world that came with the noetic flood. We said um, 
Thirdly, pre-fall man was given dominion over creation, and now all creation turned against him. We saw that from chapter 3 again, but the whole world, all animal kind, turned against him, against man. Uh, the, the entire earth was changed forever in the great Noadic flood. Remember, Peter said, the world that once was perished from the face of the earth. It was a perfect place, a perfect environment. Um, I am told, and I, I only know this from uh, like Dr. Whitcomb and creation research people and people like that, but I'm told there were these giant flying reptiles, wingspans 40, 60 feet, giant flying reptiles that they could not even get off the ground today because of the, the lack of dense air. But prior to the flood, they could get lift off. Why? Because the air was so dense. But today, because that world perished, many of those creatures could never exist today. Even if they could live, they just couldn't exist. Why? Because they could not fly. Why is that? Because that world perished. And as the polar caps froze over, it destroyed most of the dinosaur population uh, in what we know to be this great flood. What happened? Well, the creation turned against man. I want to I move on from there if I can. Fourthly, spiritual death came upon all mankind. Now, we saw it came upon Adam, but from then on, all mankind was subject and born in spiritual death. All mankind. Let's look at a couple passages, please. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know these passages very well, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, all mankind now becomes subject to not only physical death, but all men are born in sin. David said that, did he not? In the Psalms, he said, in sin did my mother conceive me, not only by sin, but in sin. I was conceived in sin. Notice in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22, please. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. <clears throat> well, let's start right at verse 20 if we could. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. He was the first one raised with a glorified body. He was not the first one raised from the dead, right? You can think of a few, the Lord Jesus raised from the dead. You can think of Old Testament people that were raised from the dead. But he's the first one raised from the dead, ascended unto the Father with a glorified body. Verse uh, 21, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so Christ, in Christ shall all be made alive. In Adam all die, both physically and spiritually. Now, how do we know that? Well, because Adam was created in the image and likeness of God, and after his fall, he began to, to uh, produce mankind in his own image and after his own likeness, which was, of course, a fallen, a fallen man. Turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 5. So what on earth is going on? Why are these people doing these things? Because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. Don't they know better? You know, the fact is they might know right from wrong, but they're going to choose the wrong. They're going to choose the wrong. They might know there's a God, but they want to worship him in their own way. Why? Because that's the way of the flesh. 
And so when we consider the world and what's going on, we recognize it's all part of this, this um, continuing saga of a world conflict. And we're right in the middle of it. But God has said that evil men and seducers are going to get worse and worse. That is, over the generation, things are going to continue to decline. And so we recognize that this, this time that we're in is all because of satanic, demonic power. But we need not fear that, do we? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I, I quote that to myself often. You know, when things come your way and, and when your mind starts building up anger, perhaps, or wrath or mouse, whatever it is, I need to go back to the word of God. Listen, God, I need your help with this. Spirit of God, help me to, to see in your word your blessedness for me. Help me to, and guide me. And so we all need to go back to that. Why? Because man has fallen. We're in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Why have they sinned? Because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. Why are they de dead in their trespasses and sins? Because they're the product of sin, who is uh, Adam himself, Adam and Eve. Look at verse seven, 17, I should say, verse 17. For by one man's offense, death reigned. This is Adam. Death came unto all the world, both physical and spiritual death. For by one man, death reigned. Verse 17. But by, by one, the Lord Jesus, much more they who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. So Christ is greater than Adam. His, uh, his salvation is greater than Adam's fall. Adam, if you would, lit a match and started a forest fire. Our Lord Jesus put out the whole forest fire all at once. Where Adam only started that which continued the fall of man, <coughs> Christ died so that all men everywhere could have salvation. So being in Adam, we, we all die, but as, and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall all live by him. It's, it's an advancement compared to what Adam did, if you would. So every man continues through this life, this, this day we live in, they all live in a fallen nature except or until they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. In that, men are deceived. And God talks about this deception. Turn with me to Ephesians, please. Ephesians chapter 2. All mankind is deceived. That is, they could be somewhat moral and somewhat outright, upright in their decision-making. You've heard it, I've heard it, I've seen it in my own family, uh, in my extended family, in my own family. I've heard, you know, well, she, she was such a good woman. She used to go to church every single day. I, I've heard that, haven't you? Always do good things for people, always. And, you know, some of that may be true, but that's called self-righteousness. The minute a person knows to do the right thing that's received Jesus Christ as Savior, the minute they know to do the right thing and choose the wrong thing, it's put to their account for sinfulness. They were born in sin and they choose sin. Now look at Ephesians chapter 2, please. 
in verse 1. And you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In which times you used to be pretty good and it was quite honorable and you went to church every Sunday or every day of the week and you never stomped on bunnies and you know the whole business. You brought up children and you were sacrificial and all of that stuff. We know that. That that's what man claims. But look what God says. In which times you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air. You see, it's not that you made a mistake. You were, you were um, totally saturated with satanic thinking. And I, I, I must tell you, I, I know what that's about. I understand that. And God wants to draw us. The Lord Jesus Christ said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men. He wants to draw people to himself. But men reach a place, women reach a place, where they decide either for or against the living God, and they have to make that decision. They have to make that decision. I think I've given my testimony a bit. I, I remember when I was a very young man in my early teens, and there was a Baptist church. I was brought up in a Catholic church. There was a Baptist church down the street from the Catholic church, and after, after a long time, I got to know the pastor really well after I got saved. But I remember being strangely drawn to go to that church. I would see this pastor, he's totally blind, legally blind. I would see him walking the streets, and for, I cannot tell you what it's about. It's just that I felt drawn to go there. I thought, I wonder what that's like. I wonder what this guy is like. I wonder what he's, who he is. And he taught the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ very plainly, very clearly, a wonderful man of God. But in that drawing process, I refused. And so for the next several years of my life, I entered into total wickedness. But I can tell you, back then, I knew God wanted me to, 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 to hear that gospel until eventually he had to, in my life, like the Apostle Paul, kind of flatten me out until I really paid attention. But God is drawing. God wants to draw these people who are saturated in darkness and give them the glorious light of the gospel of Christ. But we need to recognize that the world, in fact, is immersed in darkness, and it's satanic darkness. Turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So when you and I, when we're talking to someone, and they get mad at you for giving them the gospel, that's right, that's what they do. Why? Because they don't like the light. You didn't like it, and they don't like it. It's a battle that goes on. We're in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We can't expect anything more from that, brethren. If, if, if you have an opportunity to witness to someone, and they you know, just graciously and automatically believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior because of your witness, thank God every day for that. Because that doesn't happen to most of us. We witness to unsaved people, and they get angry. They get upset. You're telling me I'm a sinner? Who do you think you are anyway? You know, the whole thing. Now, why is that? Because of satanic darkness. There's a rejection of the light. Now, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hidden, it is hidden to them that are lost, and whom the God of this age has blinded the minds of them who believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. 
So these people are totally lost in darkness. They're unregenerate. They're unsafe. And we need to tell them about Christ. You say, well, but they do this and they do that. and they're, that, Listen, that's, they're just doing what comes from the flesh. That's why God wants us to talk to them about the Spirit, about the things of the Spirit, the Word of God. And what does it take? What does it take in reality to, for someone to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? It's a, it's a nuclear explosion. It really is. Notice in verse 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When God shines the light in the soul of a person who believes, it's the same power it took to create the world because of the power of darkness. It's his mighty work. It's not us. That's why when you know, I led someone to Christ, no, what you did is just like you, all you are is a servant. You're just a servant. You brought the food to the table, and God used the food. That's all you are, and thank God, though, God wants us to be that, understand? He wants us to share the gospel, but recognize it's his power that does the work, not yours. You should see how I crafted the gospel. The way I do it, people can't refuse. Oh, really? <laughs> Give it a try. Give it a try. Listen, God wants us to know it's his power that does it. And if these people are in darkness, their mind is blinded by spiritual wickedness. And that started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. It started back there with the fall of Adam. Turn with me um, to Romans chapter 6 for a moment, please. We won't, we won't belabor this too much more. But what does Satan do? He promotes a worldview to people. We're in Romans chapter 6. Notice what happens in Romans chapter 6. God lets us know that prior... To our salvation, we were, in fact, slaves to sin. Well, that's hard to swallow, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's God's word, and we know it. It's true. But God said you were servants, or literally the term here is a slave to sin, hopelessly lost in our sin. And what does God want us to do? He wants us to make sure and to give us that divine enablement to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And when we've done that, he wants us to treat the rest of the world with his grace and mercy and tell them about the divine enablement of God to, to pull them out of darkness and to translate them into the kingdom of his dear son. When Romans chapter 6, look if you would please, in verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants ye are whom you obey, whether unto sin, unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But thanks be to God that whereas you were the servants or slaves of sin, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. And being made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. So you're, you're a slave to sin until the blessed Spirit of God indwells you and gives you that freedom the freedom over sin. Up to that point, you're a slave. Now, in Christ, he has given us that, that, that the blessed spirit of God who has given us victory over this flesh. We can have victory over this flesh. How do we know that? Well, walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what's Satan doing today? 
Well, he promotes a worldview. That's all he's doing. He's promoting a worldview. This is what the world believes. If they're of the world, they're worldly. And this is what the world believes. That's why when we hear something from one of the candidates or we hear something, we think, how can, the, how can, how can this be? How, how can this possibly be? But, well, that's what the world thinks. We have the mind of Christ, and they have the mind of the world. So that's what they're looking at, that worldview. And so when we, when we see uh, things about our country that just are bothering us, and we think, well, how can this be? But that's what Satan has promoted. And that's what the man in his flesh has, has gone to. Why? Because he's immersed in that power of darkness. So let's look at a couple of uh, passages. Remember, Satan, using a false teaching, promotes this view. Now turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And you know this very well, of course. <clears throat> this false apostles, deceitful workers, there's people out there. Remember the, the Ephesian church, God says in the book of the Revelation, you have tried those who say they are apostles and found them liars. So these deceitful teachers were out there. And they're teaching what? That which is contrary to the word of God. That which is outside of the word of God, essentially. And we read this about Satan himself. And we see that in verse 14. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So his, uh, is it modus operandi? His whole motive is not to look wicked. If he looked wicked, who would want it? You know, you ask someone who, and to me this is amazing, is it not? Think about these people on heroin. They take heroin unto death because of the pleasure. Because of the pleasure. None of them think they're going to die. But what are they looking at? The pleasure of sin. And so that's why they take that in. If they knew, listen, buddy, if you take that heroin and no one's around with Narcan, you're going to die. Perhaps he wouldn't take that heroin. I do not know that. But you ask someone who has, uh, who has been a drunk their whole life and, and now their liver is diseased. That doesn't mean not everyone that has liver disease is a drunk, but realize a man brings in himself being a drunk his whole life and he has liver disease. And at the final moments of his life, this man is in terrible, terrible uh, agony and problems. If he knew that was going to be the end, perhaps he wouldn't have drunk so much. But Satan is clouding this. He's clouding the whole scene. In verse 14, And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. If he looked evil, no one would have anything to do with him. If he looked evil, no. He wants to look good. See, He wants to appear good. He wants to appear righteous, if you would. So that what? People will follow his way. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end, of course, shall be according to their works. So when we say what's going on today, we have to realize it's all part of Satan's scheme. It all started back in the Garden of Eden, and here we are today. But we can't be shocked by that, even though we are. It's hard sometimes to recognize that, isn't it, when 
when you hear some, a statement by this official or, or by someone, quote, in the ministry, unquote, you hear them make a statement against God. Uh, it's my understanding that most of the major religions have now embraced homosexuality. It's okay. It, it's not okay. God said it wasn't okay. But they've embraced it. Why? Because it was out there and it was taught long enough to become palatable to the world. Imagine. Imagine. It's become palatable. And like this morning's message, what I tried to get across was we've become worn down in some cases because of, the, because of what's being presented in the world. And that was Satan's agenda right from the start. That was his agenda. And so it's fallen upon all mankind. Now, we have to recognize the day we live in. Turn with me to 2 Peter, and I'm almost out of time, 2 Peter chapter 3. Satan promotes all kinds of things in 2 Peter chapter 3. One of his greatest attacks, perhaps on all mankind, is what we know to be evolution. Oh, well, why don't you get off that? What's the big deal about evolution? But recognize this now, at the heart of evolution is there is no God. That's the heart of evolution. There is no God. It all started kind of by some bang somewhere of something that existed prior to the bang. No one can explain any of this. But now man evolved. Man evolved. And that was part of Satan's plan. So what do we have? How many major universities in the world teach creationism? Secular universities. You know what the answer to that is? None. Not one in the whole world. A secular university. Now, sometimes God, uniquely because of who God is and his purposes, he'll put a prof in one of these places that's genuinely born again. And he can hint on another view, but he can't come out and teach it because he'll lose his tenure. He'll just be fired right away. But God has miraculously placed creationists in some evolutionary places, and thank God for that, because he's still, why? Because he's still not willing that any should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of truth. He still has a plan, you see. But Satan's attack, evolution. Notice, if you would, in 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 1. Uh, I'm, yes, verse 1 of 2 Peter 3. This second epistle, beloved, I write unto you, in that both, both of which to stir up your minds by way of remembrance. And that you be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come scoffers in the last days, walking after their own lusts. You see, the, the last days, the last times, the end days, that was from the first century right to the day we live in. And what are they saying? Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation, right from the beginning of time. They've all started back then. And notice, for of this are they willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens of old and the earth standing out of the waters and in the waters, by which the world that then was perished, being overflowed with water, but the heavens and the earth are now by the same word kept back in store. So remember what happened now. Satan began to, you know, 
Well, God created everything, and God's coming back. That was the, the message of the first century Christians. And they were saying, well, okay, we'll give you that. Maybe God created everything, but where's the promise of his coming? Until we get down in this present day where they say God didn't create anything. So it's gone from the possibility to a complete denial of God creating the world. And that's why it's so frightening when we have some Christians that say, well, maybe God started it all and then it, got, then it continued on its own, trying to appease the world. But listen, God said he created everything, and for you to say anything different than that is a lie. Well, what happened? Because the world fell for satanic schemes. That was his scheme right from the beginning. So today, we're, we're immersed in this darkness round about us. But we are to shine as lights before God. And I need to close with this, please. And recognize this. The darker the day, the brighter you shine for Christ. The darker the day. Where sin did abound, Grace did much more abound. So we're in a dark world, there's no question. Expect it. Uh, I've, I've noticed over the past few months, this, this thing is just eating me away. And it's not for me. I'm thinking about my grandchildren. I'm thinking about those that are coming up. That's what I'm thinking about. But I'm letting it eat me up. Listen, he's their God too. He's the, he'll take care of it. He's going to work it through according to his perfect plan. I just have to trust him and recognize my job is to shine as a light. Don't let these people get you mad. I know I, if I didn't love popcorn so much, I would throw it at the TV when I had it, you know, but I can't part with it when I get a little bit of it. But listen, we, we can't allow that. We have to walk as children of light. Why? Because God wants us to shine as lights. So we see what the world's doing. Yes, that's true. But God told us it would happen. God showed us very plainly it would happen. And what does he want us to do? To represent him as lights. Well, we'll have to close here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for my brethren. You're very hot, Lord, in this building. I realize, Lord, that this is difficult to sit and listen. And yet, Lord, uh, we know it's your word. It, it matters. It, 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 it's powerful. It's living sharper than any two-edged sword. So, Father, help us to take that word and to be able to assimilate it into our own lives. Let it dwell in us richly that we would produce the fruit that you're looking for and that we might be able to, in turn, talk to a world, a lost and dying world, a, a world that's immersed in darkness, that the glorious power of the word of God would shine unto them. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.